0: Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the sixth bonus episode of the Urban Farm Podcast where we bring you conversations with experts in fields related to urban farming and dive a little deeper into some of the important issues of our times. Healthy food is something everybody wants, delicious and nutritious, and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit Iwanttogarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors that you need to know to grow your own food. Today in this bonus podcast episode, we have our August Ask Jake and Greg session with Jake Mace and I, as together we address questions sent to us all about gardening and fruit trees. Welcome to the show today, Jake.
1: Hey Greg, thanks for setting up this great communication tool. You do all the tech stuff, so I'm really appreciative to you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I love doing it. Love doing it. And when it works, I really love doing it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Why don't you – I always like to start out kind of exploring a little bit about what you're doing in your garden at this particular moment. So you have an exciting project you're working on today. Can you tell us about it?
1: Yeah. So I'm trying to, of course, keep my gardening going. I'm doing a lot of raised bed gardens, in-ground gardens, and fruit trees. Uh Uh-huh. But I'm trying to also teach people about growing in smaller spaces. So I really recognize that probably over 90% of the people that watch my gardening videos at the Vegan Athlete YouTube channel – I mean, the majority of people that are part of the seedbankbox.com seed program, uh-huh. they're growing in like apartments and condos and like patios yeah. and small spaces. So not everybody can do, you know, a bunch of fruit trees. So I'm, tr- I'm doing a whole series on how to grow tower gardens that have a bunch of soil in them. So they're multiple stacked tower gardens on their patios. And then also how to grow like microgreens, wheatgrass, and sprouts on their kitchen counter.
2: Oh, nice,
1: nice. So, so today I, just, I was just, lugging around all these tower gardens and a bunch of bags of soil and starting to put together this video on how to grow a tower garden on a patio.
2: Nice. I do want to clarify something because you're actually working in a garden tower. The tower gardens are hydroponic systems by the Juice Plus people, and the, so those are tower gardens. And they're all water-based. And then the garden towers, tell us how they work.
1: Yeah, so these are from a company called GreenStock. If you go to GreenStockGarden.com, and Uh stock is S-T-A-L-K. Oh, Uh, okay. Yeah, so it's like a stalk of a broccoli, like a broccoli stalk. Yeah, yeah. So GreenStockGarden.com, you can see how they have these garden towers that you can have one level, two levels, three levels, up to five levels, and you can grow an entire raised bed of plants, hundreds and hundreds of plants in about you know, one and a half square foot of space because they're a tower. Right. Wow. And each, it's basically a bunch of buckets that have soil in them and you stack the buckets, but they're done very aesthetically pleasing and nice and artistic. And there's also engineering in the garden tower so that when you water it at the top, the water evenly drips down to each level of the tower and all your plants get uniformly watered. So first thing in the morning, you just wake up and you pour a bucket of water in the top. And then it it trickles slowly over about a five minute period all down into the tower.
2: Oh, nice. And wow. so I
1: really I really think it's I really think that they're that they're best. Of course, if you are so inclined, you can grow anything in them, but they're really right. best for growing like leafy greens and herbs. Yeah. And so I'm going to be growing all my salad mix greens and all my herbs in these. Uh, I have two tower gardens for. apartment balcony and another tower garden for a condo patio and they're all from green stock and Uh and then once i do the videos on these i'm going to grow in them and give people updates of how they're growing over the next year so you can get all this on my facebook group the urban gardening in arizona facebook group or you can go to the vegan athlete youtube channel and i'll have the whole thing
2: nice yep wow how cool is that man So I'm going
1: to put worm castings in them. And in the worm castings I'm using, there are a few worms and even worm eggs and stuff like that. So I'm going to try to build the best soil possible. So part of the video series is going to be showing folks the Mesa's mixed soil I'm going to create to give this really nutrient-dense soil for these garden towers. So that it's got worm castings in it, coconut cork, active locally made compost, uh, rock dust powder, I'm going to put some organic fertilizer and um, do some foliar feed spray that's organic and cold pressed seaweed. And I'm going to really supercharge this stuff and maybe even I'll brew some compost tea to pour into the watering system in the top.
2: Oh, nice. Wow. So when so are you we'll- planting out your first one?
1: We're doing it all on Friday. I'm going to I'm gonna plant them out, build them, and film the video series, the first part on Friday. But Friday. I started filming it today. We, we got all the soil today. So the hardest part about this stuff, Greg, honestly, is making the videos and editing the videos to show everybody <laughs> about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because if I just want to plant out some tower gardens and do a patio garden, it's actually half the work. Doing the videos and the editing is, makes the work times two. So I hope folks out there appreciate all the editing and the videography that oh, goes into making these videos because –
2: it's yeah tough. and and I, I've experienced that too I've got dozens of hours of video that I've shot over the past 10 years locked up on my computer because I just haven't taken the time to you know make it into what it needs to be it's it's tough man it's tough yeah
1: so if everybody out there every time that you see a Greg Peterson urban farm podcast or you see a Jake makes vegan athlete video please please hit the like button hit the share button share with everybody you got and yep. Get the word out because we do this stuff for free basically and there's not like some company paying i mean i mean i guess that youtube does pay me a percentage but when i make the videos and buy the equipment it's all out of my own expense
2: yeah exactly yeah well and you know when when you can hit the donate button because we're you know we're busting our butts out there every day trying to work into through this stuff so
1: or or support greg's urban farm garden tours or my longevity Woo. garden garden tours you know
2: yeah absolutely yeah absolutely so We've got some questions. Let's see here. I'm gonna jump in here. Guava trees. Timothy says, I am in lower Southern California, so our weather is even hotter than yours. How can that be? I do not know. She says, I grow different varieties of guavas, Malaysian, Tropic White, Tropic Pink, strawberry, and lemon. These are not grafted trees. During the heat of the summer, I will get a lot of suckers or new growth coming from the base of the trees. The question is leave the growth or prune the growth.
1: What do you think, Greg? You go for it first today. I went first last time.
2: Well, it depends. Great. Thank you for that, Jake. It depends. So when you're dealing with non-grafted trees, which these guavas are non-grafted, that means they're grown from seed or cuttings. When you're dealing with non-grafted trees, Any of the branches that are coming out low to the ground are, you know, live and they'll make fruit. So if you want a bush, then I would leave them low and make it into a bush. If you want more of a tree, then I would cut them off. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what's your thoughts on that, Jake?
1: Yeah, I mean, every fruit tree, part of, I mean, the pruning process is one of the most fun processes of doing a fruit tree in your yard. Yeah. And... I've really, i been saying to people lately that your first success as a home gardener, if you are learning how to garden at home and you're learning from scratch, the first success you'll have is when you actually prune your tree because that means that you grew the tree big enough to need pruning. Exactly. In the beginning when you're planting a baby tree, it doesn't need pruning per se, but as it gets bigger and you have to prune it, that means you're being successful. So if, you're, if you want the tree to be bigger and be more of a high canopy, you walk underneath and shade tree, you want to raise that canopy up and prune it to make that umbrella look. But if it's a right. smaller tree, like an orange tree, you want to keep it kind of have a bushy shape so it can shade the trunk and be more of a ball shape. So depending on what you want, I would say, you know, watch the movie The Karate Kid and look at Mr. Miyagi when he taught, <laughs> when he taught uh, Daniel's son how to do the bonsai. He said close your eyes and make a picture of how you want the tree to be and then open your eyes and, and, and do the picture.
2: Mm -hmm. That's it. Nice. So there is a second piece to this, Timothy, and that's that, If it is a grafted tree, and granted, you said these were non-grafted trees, if these are grafted trees, and usually trees are grafted about four inches above the ground, and I like to tell people it looks like a knee, Uh, you know, there's one bump sticking out on one side, and then there's a kind of a fleshy underside, like the inside of your knee, on the other, and what happens when they graft trees is they take a piece of a known tree, you know, so like, uh uh, granny smith apple they know that that's what it is and they take a cutting of it and they graft it or meld it to a rootstock that will do really well in an area Uh, so if you're dealing with a grafted tree any growth that's coming off of the tree below the graft needs to be removed Mm -hmm. and the best way to do that is you need to either pop it off when it's small. So when it's really small, if you see it coming, you just go down there and and bend it off and it pops right off. Or if it's too big to pop it off, you need to get in and cut it real close. Otherwise, what happens if you leave a little stub down there, it it, uh, shoots out a bunch of other branches and you're gonna have more of a problem. Um, So that's the difference between grafted and non-grafted trees.
1: You know, one thing I would say too, Greg, is just while we're on the subject of pruning and grafting and things like that, in addition to grafting, just people always ask me, when should you prune your fruit trees? And I think that right now is a great time because the summer heat is starting to break, you know?
2: Right. And, exactly. the,
1: 100 and the 110 degree temperatures are over in Phoenix area. So no matter where in the country you are, if your summer Temperatures are beginning to go down again. It's time to mm-hmm. prune so that your fruit trees put off one more flush of growth before they go dormant. Yeah, yeah. So Now's a great time to prune.
2: Yeah, exactly. And a couple of things about pruning now. First of all, <clears throat> especially in the desert Southwest. You don't want to cut them back a lot so that you're opening up the canopy for sun to get in. You want to still have – make sure you leave that shade in place. That's one thing. The other thing, and this is for everybody out there wherever you're at, is any branches that are taller than you want the tree to be, you want to cut those off because they're they're going to get pruned off eventually anyways and so they're never going to make fruit. So what'll happen is when you prune those taller branches off, they'll it'll push the tree will push the energy in growing the rest of the tree. Nice. Yeah. I've got a question here from Daniel. It's about mulch. Um, I haven't read the whole thing, so I'm just going to read it out loud. He says a lot of people participate in free mulch process around the country, in the valley and around the country, with companies like Chip Drop, you know tree services in fact now is a great time to get chips because we've got a lot of storms and a lot of trees falling over he says in a lot of cases the wood chips are of different varieties and you don't know what you're getting he says do you do anything to speed up the decomposition process what would you recommend do you mix compost with your mulch or drop the compost first and layer mulch over it then continue to layer cake it all right you go first on this one jake
1: so he's wanting to speed the process of the wood chip decomposition?
2: Yeah. He's talking you know, about wood chip composition.
1: So a couple of things. One, especially if you're living in like, an air, uh, like, like a rainy area, you won't need to because the wood chips break down so fast. Yeah. Two, what you, what you could do is if, when you're spreading wood chips on your landscape, especially when you're piling the wood chips around the, the root zone of your fruit trees, mm-hmm. I would also mix in some grass clippings. And I would also mix in maybe some of the produce from your kitchen, like some of the avocado peels and banana peels that you have in your kitchen and mix in some of that into the wood chips. So grass peelings, food scraps, wood chips, go get a couple of bales of straw or bales of hay and, and, and mix in the straw. So you have this straw mixed with wood chips, mixed with food scraps, mixed with grass clippings. And then when your neighbors or you bag up all your leaves.
2: Yeah, Don't throw yeah, those away, those.
1: save those leaves and mix that in there. So you get this like potpourri, like a stew of organic material. And when you got that combination of all of that, it breaks down very quickly. And then if you want to be really, if you want to get an A plus in school from the Jake May vegan athlete school of Woodchips, you can, <laughs> you can go to some place in town locally where you live and look for a place that deals with box greens some place that supplies produce to restaurants. I have a couple that I, that I work with here in town. I have a juice bar that I work with that uh, gives me all the juice pulp. And I have a, that's great. I have a produce company that's organic, that supplies restaurants like the vegan places, like Palm Cafe and stuff in town with their produce. And they call me up once a week and they have all the produce that's one day old that would normally get thrown away and they give it to me. So sometimes I'll get a full, like, I'll get like six to eight boxes of mushrooms. And they're oh, just wow. – they're, they're kind of like – they're in in—they're in bags, and they're kind of like a little slimy, so they weren't edible in, in, anymore. But I just throw all those mushrooms out in my wood chips, and then I get all those mushroom spores out there, and that helps to break mm-hmm. it down too. Yeah. Those are your tips.
2: Yeah, and that's getting really detailed. And Daniel, if you <laughs> – <Okay. laughs> you know, yeah. Daniel, if you want to, just put down six inches of wood chips, you know, mm-hmm. on your – you know in your space and that really that's what you did the first couple of years you just put it down and let it be right jake
1: i i, I did yeah and i just yeah. kept layering it kept layering it kept layering it
2: yeah so just just layering it is absolutely uh an easy way to do it and it breaks down over time uh, even here yep. in the desert in fact here's the thing the thicker you go uh, the more of a sponge it becomes uh, in fact i have to tell a story real quick The first time I walked on your property was a couple of years after you started putting down wood chips. You remember that, Jake?
1: Yeah, at my property in uh, Phoenix.
2: Yeah, in Tempe, yeah. Yeah. And what was one of the things I asked you for that day when I walked on the property? I said, you got a shovel?
1: Uh Uh-huh. You wanted to dig down the wood chips and see the different layers.
2: Yeah, I wanted to see the different layers. And I wanted to see where the water was at. And what I found was about six inches down, it was damp. And that particular year, I think it was 2014, that particular year, it hadn't rained in five months. And it was right. wet under six inches. And I asked you if you'd been watering, and you said no.
1: At that space that we dug, I had not. And that was back, Greg, when I only had one foot of wood chips. Now I have three feet of wood chips. Right, exactly.
2: Now, everybody listening out there, three feet of wood chips is extreme. Wouldn't you say, Jake?
1: <laughs> yeah, because. Here's the reason why, because it's difficult to spread them. It really is. I mean, it's not like a helicopter comes in and dumps them right in place. Like they have to dump it on my driveway and I have to wheelbarrow that crap all back there, wheelbarrow by wheelbarrow. And each load is like a five ton load of wood chips. And I've done that 50 times so far. Is that all? Yeah. So, I mean, like right now I'm doing a load right now because um, I've been been trying to get wood chips for a month and Mm -hmm. none of my normal companies had any. And then when the monsoon hit last week, every company was calling me saying we have witches for you and i had too many so wood chips is kind of feast and famine so i'm moving a load back right now and it does take about two days four to five hours per day of me lugging them back there so it's difficult but the payoff is big because it brings in the healthy bugs it conserves water it breaks them into black soil and now whenever it rains i mean my garden smells like the forest it's so beautiful i just did 20 20- It's so nice. I just did a 20 mile hike on the Tonto National Forest last weekend. Oh, nice. And we were hiking for two days. And when you're out in the Tonto National Forest or the Coconino National Forest or any of the national forests in the United States, Mm -hmm. you learn a lot about gardening. And so it's really important that you get out of your backyard and go into the forest because you will see a cow patty or some deer poop every now and again. But it's only 0.01% of what's out there, like 99.9% of what's in the forest is pine needles and bark and fallen trees and leaves. And that's the way that Mother Earth grows the redwoods that are humongous and the mm. ponderosa and pines. They use veganic methods of growing, which means just a bunch of organic matter from nature, not the manures. So I think that it's important to remember that if you copy the forest and layer the wood chips you'll get the forest results, which is the big, healthy trees.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. Thanks. All right. I've got a a question from Connie out there. Welcome, Connie. She got one of our trees, a Santa Rosa plum from the pop-up nursery in February. She said it was handling the 120-degree days with no problem. A few weeks ago, they had a super strong rain, and their yard flooded, and the tree was dead within two days. Interesting. Interesting. She said all of our fruit trees handled all that water just fine. She'd like to plant another stone fruit in that spot, but I'm afraid the same thing might happen. Any ideas on what happened and how to prevent it? You had that happen on one of your trees uh, recently at your place, didn't you, Jake?
1: Yes, but it wasn't because of an of a overabundance of rain, but it might have been something similar. So my experience was with Texas root rot, which – stone fruit trees sometimes are susceptible to, which is also called cotton rot, I believe. I think cotton yes, rot is they're yeah. the same thing. And from my research, what I, what it is, is the Texas root rot or cotton rot is kind of like a bacteria or a fungus that bonds to the roots of the tree and then doesn't allow the tree's roots to absorb any water. So even though there's water hitting the root zone, the, the root rot, the actual fungus, takes the water and the tree gets starved and dehydrated. And so in a matter of two or three days, a healthy, vibrant pluot or plum tree will look dead from, from like dehydration, even though it was healthy. And it's very hard to cure the Texas root rot. So there's a lot of trees that are immune of it, and I would just go online on Google and search for immune fruit tree to Texas root rot. But it sounds like she's having a different issue if it was right after a rain.
2: Well, perhaps, but that, that's exactly where I would have gone with it is the Texas root rot. Mm-hmm. Because the indicator for Texas root rot is trees doing great and all of us, you know, it looks like like a fine tree. And then all of a sudden, then, you know, within two days, it's dead. So one of the things that might have happened is, is, uh, Connie, is if this tree was in a, you know, in a shallow area uh, where water accumulated, the water might have sat there, could have finished rotting away the roots. You know, there's, there's so many different things that can happen. So one of the things you might try and do, uh, if you want to try in that spot again, and I'll work with you on this, you can always shoot me an email. So, Connie, I was going to say, send me a picture of the area where the tree was at, um, and I'll always work with you on, you know, hey, let's make sure that we get some trees growing in that space. To, you know, dig a large portion of the soil out of the area and put new soil in, that could help. Uh, you know, if you, you want to do that, and then always use the mace mix in the hole, which, um, you know, includes mycorrhiza and uh, azomite and those kinds of things. So Worm that, will help, that would help combat that kind of thing.
1: You know, and Greg, I know that with your, with your urban farm fruit tree program, you sell citrus trees and fig trees and pomegranates and date palms even sometimes. Yeah. And those four trees, from my research, are more tolerant of the Texas root rot. It's the stone fruits that usually are susceptible to it, but figs, pomegranates, date palms, mulberry trees, and mm-hmm. citrus trees are usually pretty hardy against it. Exactly. Exactly.
2: So, Connie, shoot me a photograph of the space, and, and let's chat about that. Because we have Chris says, I have had issues with ants that start at the start of the season used de but they keep coming back any other organic remedies for ants
1: i, I got uh, an answer for this one if you want
2: go i do I too think, but go, i'll let you go first
1: i I'm, i don't know what you're going to say greg but i think that ants are ex- they can be a short-term nuisance but they're a long-term extreme benefit to you to you being a successful gardener
2: amen to that Because
1: they're aerating your soil and they're bringing nutrients to and from and they serve a purpose. And so what I've always done is there's one thing you can get if you want to keep ants out of a certain area or out of your house, you can go on Amazon and buy a bag of uh, food grade diatomaceous earth.
2: Yeah, that's what he's mentioned. Exactly.
1: And you can sprinkle it around the area and the ants won't really cross it. But then what I do is I get a load of wood chips in and I bury the ants in like a foot or two feet of wood chips.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And what I have found for me is that usually when I bury the ants in two feet of wood chips, they live quite contently beneath the wood chips and they don't come up anymore. Right. And now um, this year for the first time in seven years gardening at my, you know, uh, biointensive backyard front yard garden, I have had the least amount of ant problems ever because they're underneath the wood chips now. Nice. So just keep burying those suckers with with wood chips.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, you know, and I was going to go pretty much the same place. It's unless they're a biting ant that, you know, is in a place where you don't want them. You know, I just I just let them be. Uh, there is another thing that's natural that you can use on them with and I, I like to work use it with diatomaceous earth. And that's uh, boric acid. Hmm. So it can, we add the diatomaceous earth and the boric acid together and then sprinkle it. And that that helps a lot as well. Hmm. Cool. So, Yeah. Let's see. Here's a question on cover crops. Janice says, is it too late to start cover crops like beans? And what would we recommend starting now? So let's start with what is a cover crop? You want to go there, Jake?
1: Yeah. Cover crop is a type of, usually a type of green or some kind of grass or some kind of clover that can be grown on top of your soil and the roots won't compete with your edible plants, but it'll Uh actually, the roots will fix nutrients in the soil, preserve the water and moisture and actually help as like shade protection for the, to help shade out the UV uh, harm the sun might do to your microbe system. Right. And so usually what I use as a cover crop is like, I use clover. Um, mm-hmm. You can even use sometimes like uh, Dichondra yep, or
2: you legumes. know
1: legumes. Vec- yeah. mm-hmm.
2: Vetch is one of them that is real good for that.
1: A good cover crop for your fruit trees is like squash and um, and different kinds of melons. Oh yeah, yeah. And also well, a it, really good root crop, a really good cover crop is New Zealand spinach. Look it up, New Zealand spinach.
2: New Zealand, Yeah. So, and, and so let me make a distinction here real quick for you, Jake, as well. Cover crops are generally grown as green manure. So what you do is you put a bunch of seeds down, a legume like a beans or the vetch or the clovers, and let it grow out for a while, and then you turn it in because then what you're doing is you're feeding the soil uh, microorganisms. The other things that you mentioned, the squash and the New Zealand spinach and that kind of stuff, is actually shading the soil, which is another really important thing to do.
1: You know here's one thing to people in the phoenix area it's really hot in the summertime uh-huh and so it's difficult to plant potatoes over the summer because they just get they get baked in the mush so the best time to put potatoes in the ground is like october so they can overwinter and you can harvest them in the spring that's that's in the phoenix area what i have found this year is that i had two raised beds that i grew hundred percent potatoes in and I've been harvesting potatoes all summer long because I let the grass and the New Zealand spinach run, run wild. And the mm-hmm. grass and the New Zealand spinach served as a kind of a sunshade for my potatoes yep. and it's kept them doing great.
2: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these questions go to letting nature be. so you do right. that a lot, don't you? You just let nature do what nature does in your yard.
1: Within Within the city code. So, like –
2: Right, exactly. If I, let, if I let the grass grow too big, the city
1: might come by and say, hey, you got to get your grass cleaned up because you're you're, you know, you're letting it grow too big. But exactly, because um, if I let the grass grow, praying mantis love to hide in there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And everything has a purpose. I mean, like everybody quotes Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park that nature finds a way. Yeah. And when you let the garden, you you, you have to kind of steer your garden a little bit. You also have to let it careen out of control a little bit because it's this yin and yang uh, balance between organized garden and food forest. You have to walk that line so that you have a healthy permaculture-based system in your yard.
2: Yeah. For those of you listening, Jake just used the word permaculture. I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. So how do we work in in the flow of nature rather than against nature? Mm -hmm. Because nature knows how to do all this stuff. In fact, my friend – Toby Hemingway, he passed away last year, uh, used to say, that "Nature always bats last, so we <laughs> best figure out how to work with it." That's cool. With it or with her, whatever you want to call.
1: That's so. a cool, uh, a cool quote there. I like it. Yeah,
2: yeah. So Julie says, "I've heard you say she's talking to me. Uh, I've heard you say many times that mushrooms growing in your garden is a sign of good soil. I have lots of them. My question is, should I leave them alone, dig them out, or can I use some of them?" in my compost bin thoughts on that mr jake
1: yeah you could always take them out and put them in your compost bin but when i have mushrooms in my garden i just leave them yep. and let them usually in a in a day they die and they go back into the soil and they're a great a, a wonderful component to healthy soil
2: yeah i just i just talked to uh, kevin he's uh, one of the you know the mushroom guy at the uptown farmers market yeah with uh, sun valley harvest yeah Really, really cool what he's up to over there.
1: If you guys uh, want to
2: go to uh, their
1: page, the best way to see their mushrooms is Sun Valley Harvest on Facebook.
2: Nice. Nice. That's a shout-out to you, Kevin, if you're out there listening.
1: <clears throat> but I'm glad um, you were saying about their their mushrooms.
2: Yeah, one of the things that he does is he inoculates yards with mushroom spore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had never thought about doing that, but that's an of course. Of course we want to, you know, inoculate that stuff out there so it, you know, it starts growing. Exactly. And I I would guess, given that mushrooms love the wood chips, they're going to do really well in your yard.
1: He came over about, I would say, six, eight months ago during one of my garden tours and inoculated my whole yard. Did he really? He brought over – 20 bags of mushroom spores and he was uh, a busy guy putting them in all different places in my yard
2: oh nice nice so nice, I will let, nice
1: so if i start getting edible mushrooms pop up i'll do some uh, vegan athlete youtube videos on that so go yeah. to my vegan athlete channel and subscribe and that'd be really cool maybe someday if you guys join the seedbankbox.com program at, uh-huh. at seedbankbox.com Maybe one month coming up, we'll do like a mushroom spore month or something. Oh,
2: yeah. Well, you'll need instructions on what to do with them, but that would be epic, dude.
1: Yeah, because be, we include like six different strains of mushrooms or something. Or,
2: yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. So, Julie, I would just leave them alone. I regularly leave the mushrooms alone in my yard. If you want to put some in your compost bin, they'll love it. But just let her be. Just yes, let her be. Mm-hmm. Katrina says, in Greg's tree class, he said not to use drip systems for watering fruit trees. Since that is what most people use around here, I would like to ask you to elaborate a bit. Apparently, they can have different size emitters, different numbers of emitters around each tree, and the controller can be set for multiple programs. So why can't an appropriate number of emitters and time be found to use on these trees, especially already established trees? You want to go first or you want me to, Jake? You do it, Greg. It's all you. All right. All right. So Katrina, thank you for this question. Usually when people have drip emitters, what they do is they put one drip emitter right next to the trunk and think that's enough for the tree. And so that's the biggest reason that I say to stay away from drip systems. If you're going to use a drip system on your trees, you need to be able to put out enough water to flood the basin that the tree is in at least once every two weeks in the summertime. Now it has gotten, I don't know where y'all live out there, but here in the desert Southwest, it a gotten a lot harsher the past few years. Um, you think so great?
1: Cause I've only been gardening since 2011 out here. So you've been yeah. gardening much longer than me. So I, yeah. I really trust your opinion of that because I think it's getting, the colds are getting colder, the hots are getting hotter, and the monsoons are getting more windy. And Yeah. Doesn't it seem that way?
2: It does. It does. And so in order to protect from that harshness, Katrina, the first thing you need to do around your trees is make sure you have a nice basin around the tree. And when I say a nice basin, and I am not kidding, at least a six to eight-foot diameter basin around every single one of your trees. That's number one. Number two have at least six to eight inches of woody mulch in that basin.
1: At, just at least?
2: At least, yeah. I've had multiple people email me pictures this summer and, of the basin around their tree, and the basin is two foot diameter, and it's got half an inch of woody mulch in it. That is not enough because what we're trying to do here, especially in the desert southwest, is mitigate the heat that's around the trees. So those are the first two things you have to do. The second thing you, you want to do is you don't you want to make sure not to put the woody mulch right up against the trunk. Usually, what I try and do is put the tree uh, on a little bit of a hill in the middle, and then you need to water for the tree. And people often ask me, "Well, how much do I water my tree?" Well, I have no idea how to answer that question, except. You need to watch the tree and the tree will tell you when it needs water. Generally speaking, in the desert southwest with lots of mulch around your tree or on a flood irrigated property once a month in the winter and twice a month in the summer works. However, that is not a rule. That is a guideline. So you have to make sure that you really pay attention to the tree and watch what the tree needs. One big problem that we run into is that a lot of people, they want to water their trees and make sure that their tree gets enough water. Well, at that point, you can actually overwater the trees and overwatering the trees, you you can kill them. In fact, we talked about root rot earlier. Overly wet soil is a place that is ripe for root rot, Texas root rot. So if
0: you're
2: overwatering your tree, it rots the the roots out and boom, your tree's gone. So one of the things that I highly suggest that people do, again, this is here in the desert Southwest, is you plant your trees in January, February, and March. And you water them once a month for January, February, and March. And in April, you start watering them every two weeks. And by the time June comes around, you know you are not over-watering your trees. You absolutely know that. And then start watching the tree. So if you're eight days into June and your tree starts wilting a little bit, you know you're not overwatering it. At that point, you need to give it some water. Thoughts on that, Jake?
1: That sounds great. I did not know that overly damp soil could lead to root rot, to Texas yeah. root rot. That's
2: yeah, well, awesome. it it, it uh, you know it nurtures the spores that are you know that make up the Texas root rot. So mm-hmm. another thing that I have found recently, again here in the desert. Uh, is that people are in new builds new homes they're building they're they're digging their holes for their trees in their backyard and the soil is so incredibly hard that basically what they do is they dig a great big bowl in the ground and if they stick a hose in that bowl and fill it up three days later the hole's still full of water hmm. because the soil their dirt is so dense so mm-hmm. one of the things you always want to do when you're planting trees or plants in your yard is you want to dig a hole and do what's called a perk test. You dig the hole, you stick a hose in there, you fill up the hole with water and see how long it takes to, for it to drain out. And if you're, you know, if you're running into a problem like uh, you know, what I explained a moment ago with the water just not percolating out, what Janice is doing, Janice is, uh, works with me. She's actually building her soil up on top, just like you did. She's adding a foot of wood chips in her backyard so that she's building the soil up so that in the coming years, as she plants her tr- fruit trees, they're getting planted in this new area of soil rather than in lower into the bowl in the ground. Hmm. So there you go. Nice. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We got some other questions here. Julie on sweet potatoes. My uh, my fruit trees are watered by our drip system every seven days. If I planted sweet potatoes or squash under the tree, is watering every seven days enough for the potatoes and squash? <clears throat> I know for this for the sweet potatoes, yes, but probably not the squash. What are your thoughts on that, Jake?
1: You know, go for it, Greg. Go for it first.
2: Yeah, well, that, that, that was that was my take on it. I know that sweet potatoes grow really well here at the Urban Farm on the floodwater, which is every two weeks. Um, yeah, so I would not me, do that to a squash.
1: I totally agree. And for me, my sweet potatoes, this is my uh, second year growing them. They completely have taken over. Like, if you don't watch out, the sweet potatoes are an amazing cover crop, but they will take over your entire garden. Like, they took over my tomato patch. They took over my cucumbers.
2: Yep. <laughs> yeah, they'll uh, do that.
1: And I don't have flood irrigation like like you, but the cool thing was when I went out there and cleaned them up, and started pulling them out, I harvested like 20, 30 pounds of sweet potatoes in just like I know, isn't that sweet? It was,
2: it's awesome. And they're just and, growing out there. And they're growing,
1: and they're amazing. They were tasted so good, and they were so delicious. And I made them into like, I just put them in tin foil and cooked them up in the oven, and they were just yep. like the sweetest, most tender, amazing uh, yeah. dinner ever. Yeah, yeah. But definitely, you can. You can overwater your squash, so be careful about that. You know. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to overwater it. You don't want to underwater it. Keep it a right. nice, happy medium. Yeah.
2: Another thing that grows wild in my backyard are Jerusalem artichokes They're, uh, or sunchokes. Uh, and they grow up to be about 14 feet tall this time of year, and they have a nice, really pretty bloom that looks like a sunflower, and they put out an immense amount of these potato-like things under the ground.
1: Greg, I'm growing, I'm growing your sunchokes from the urban farm in my yard this year, and they're doing great. Like the, the sunflower above the soil is like 10, 12 feet high right now. I know, isn't that amazing? And I'm ready to harvest this fall. Maybe like October, I'll harvest summer, maybe November. Right.
2: Yeah, once. So you'll harvest them, Jake, when uh, the tops die back. Right. Yeah. Chris from Mesa. He says props in the subject line. I just want to say a huge thank you to both you and Jake because you have your inspirations. I am starting school again next week to get a degree in environmental sustainability. Keep up the great works. Thank you, Chris. We appreciate it. This is, uh, I know for me, it's a big part of the reason why I do it.
1: Hey, Chris, what's happening? Keep it up, man.
2: Yeah, thanks. Daniel says, my Fuyu persimmon dropped all of its leaves, uh, but the cadmium is still green. Is it dormant? Daniel, I would say that it is not dormant. I would say something shocked the tree. It either didn't get enough water or got too much water and dropped all of its leaves. It could just be the heat. I'm assuming, Daniel, that you're in in Phoenix, uh, in the Phoenix metropolitan area. If you are, persimmons are really, really hard because the heat's real hard on them until they're established. So, you know, it could be... I even know
1: I even know three people in Phoenix area that are that have like twenty year old mature persimmon trees that actually fruit very well.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And I would say ten months out of the year they look like crap because even though they're mature and they fruit well, they still look beat up all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> they're really hard. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm yeah it's just, out there. No, 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 that's good that's great. Daniel, it's it's you know, if it's again, if it's here, it's about the heat. You know, it's it's just so incredibly <laughs> harsh here. It's harsh on both Jake and I, isn't it, Jake?
1: It's depressing me. I'm actually I'm in the final stages of kind of securing my affairs to to garden somewhere else in, in the world. So stay tuned to my garden group on Facebook, the Urban Garden in Arizona group, and stay tuned mm-hmm. to my vegan athlete channel to see where I'm going to garden next.
2: And I'm trying to push him into go to going to Hawaii because that's where I, I, I want to go it. eventually.
1: I would love it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, because it's uh, – you know, I'm 50 years here in Phoenix, Jake. Yeah. 50 – this is my 50th summer here in Phoenix. And oh, wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just crazy, and, and I, it seems to me every summer it gets more harsh and more harsh.
1: And it gets more harsh, and it gets more people. Like, this is the fifth largest city in the country right now. I know. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy that Phoenix is that way, and so – not only is it hot, but it's getting crowded and it's getting more traffic. And it's just, you know, Arizona is a beautiful state if you want to go hiking and if you want to go skiing and if you want to go backpacking and camping. Mm-hmm. But to live in the city is getting tougher for me every single year.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I'm ready to
1: definitely. Probably get into the country and it's going to be some green acres time for the vegan athlete here. Yeah. <laughs> Farm living yeah. is the life for me.
2: <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> who'd who thunk it, man? We're heading for the farm. Yeah, uh, heading for the farm. All right, well let's let's. And uh, what are your last thoughts for today, Jake?
1: You know, I want people to um, be encouraged to grow food in their front and their backyard. So I would say, right now I'm spreading wood chips, getting ready for the winter. I'm pruning fruit trees, and I'm about I'm about two weeks late planting out my fall garden, but I'm going to be planting it out this week and this weekend. Yep. And I'll be planting out kind of some tomatoes and some hibiscus and some, maybe some cucumbers and beans right now. And then in a couple months from now, planting out winter greens and carrots and beets and things like that. Yeah. I really enjoy overwintering my carrots and beets in the Phoenix area. And then I harvest in like April. They do really well that way. Yeah. And also planting any kind of garlic or potatoes or things like that in October. And, uh, so you know, I, I would say my closing thoughts today. What's what's good about the seed uh, bank box program, seedbankbox.com, that I uh-huh. I, send, I send people the seeds that I'm going right to their door. You guys can sign right. up exactly for just, for just twenty bucks. Is in each seed bank box, I put a mission statement of the month to inspire and motivate you. It's different every month. Mm-hmm. So when you open up your seed bank box, you get like a you know a little a card that has my philosophy for the month. I For this past month, I challenged everybody out there who's part of the Seed Bank Box program. We have hundreds of people that are a part of it. And I challenged them to see if they can eat at least one meal 100% out of their garden for the next 10 days in a row. Nice. So can they do like at least one breakfast per day or one lunch per day or one dinner per day for 10 days, 100% from the garden? So I want to see if you guys out there listening right now, can you – for the next 10 days, do at least one meal out of your garden 100% every day for the next 10 days.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I love doing that. I remember the first time it happened for me about 20 years ago. You know, and we have we have chickens here at the Urban Farm, so that makes the protein piece a little bit easier. But right. it is, you know, it, it's, it's an epic thing when that happens.
1: It's fantastic. I mean, like when you could juice your own fresh squeezed orange juice. And you can make a stir fry of your favorite vegetables, and you can put in some sweet potatoes in there to make it hearty, and you can take some regular potatoes from your garden and make potato fries that you've seasoned with some spices like some cayenne pepper and oregano and basil from your garden. And then you can um, maybe take some zucchinis and take a julienne tool and make zucchini pasta out of the zucchini
2: nice and then
1: then take some of your tomatoes and make a marinara with tomatoes and basil and there's your meal i mean that's like it's so satisfying to do that and it'll also teach you really quick how self-sufficient you are
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because gardening is really fun but my goal is to grow a lot of food to eat and so right when you do that meal thing you realize oh my god i don't have much to eat i need to plant you know this and that this and that and it will make you plant a lot more stuff that you like yeah and that's what greg always says he says um you know, plant what you like to eat.
2: Yep, that's right. Plant what you like to eat. So I want to, I, I do want to throw in there so that y'all don't get overwhelmed. Um, I, you know, Jake. Both Jake and I do tours here at the at at his place. He does tours at his place. I do tours at my place periodically throughout the year. And w- about three years ago, this young lady was, we're, you know, out of the front yard into the backyard, and she stuck up her hand and she said, "Oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Where do I even start?" So the simplest thing to grow and the most expensive thing to buy are herbs. So you can start with herbs in your windowsill uh, and, you know, and, and then add herbs to your dish. Uh, but don't take on so much that you're overwhelmed because it, it just, you know, it'll stop you from moving forward. So take it on a little bit and a little bit and a little bit because you'll be more successful that way. Yeah, so that'd be that'd be my parting piece of advice so don't you know don't don't head into this and think you're going to get an entire meal out of your first garden it's probably not going to happen but after you've been doing this for 2 or 3 years it's completely feasible that you could get an entire meal and with the tower gardens which is the hydroponic version and the garden towers that virtually gives you an instant instant garden doesn't it jake It does
1: completely, you know, exactly. And I just love challenges like that, trying to do one meal a day out of your garden because it will teach you really quick what you need to grow. (laughs)
2: Yeah, exactly. Because if you're
1: you're celebrating, you know, one tomato and one leaf of kale, you can't make a meal out of that. You need to have like six plants of kale and like 10 different plants of tomatoes and maybe like three different trellises with cucumbers and beans on them. And then you've got a little tiny little like meal going on. So a tower garden or a garden tower is a good way to do it, where you can, you know, in a little tiny area, grow vertically like an apartment building of plants. Mm-hmm. I think those green stock gardens are really good. If you guys do go to greenstockgarden.com, when you check out, use the promo code Jake Mace in all caps. So just put all caps and type in Jake Mace. I think they give you oh, a nice. discount. They give you a discount um, if you use that all caps Jake Mace promo code.
2: Oh, All, cool.
1: all one word, Jake Mace.
2: Yeah, perfect. Wow, cool. I'm going to have to go check that out because I want to get one of those. I think they're just totally cool. And I have a tower garden as well. It's one of my favorite ways of growing. I have I have a third of an acre here, about the size of your property, Jake. And one of my favorite toys is my tower garden. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So um, wrap it up, Jake. How can they get a hold of you?
1: Okay, so follow me on YouTube. Type in The Vegan Athlete or Jake Mace Garden on YouTube and Uh, hit subscribe and turn on my notifications for my YouTube channel. If you want to follow me and see what I'm doing every single day, I post daily updates of my life on my Instagram and Snapchat, which all one word, you go to Jake Mace Tai Chi, like the meditation, T-A-I-C-H-I, Jake Mace Mm -hmm. Tai Chi. And if you want to get Moringa seeds from me, they're back in stock. We have Moringa seeds again. Oh, nice. We have the seed bank box uh, a seed program, shipping seeds right to your door to plant. And so go to jakemace.com and get moringa seeds, Egyptian spinach seeds, hibiscus seeds, or sign up for the Seed Bank Box program at jakemace.com or at seedbankbox.com. And you can also join my Urban Gardening in Arizona Facebook group.
2: My God, man, you are all over the place. And hey, for those <laughs> of you out there that aren't in Arizona, you can still join this Facebook group.
1: And you can join the Seed Bank Box program.
2: Yeah, there you go. There you go. So I just have one offer for you today. If you go to Iwanttogarden.com, we have a free webinar, pre-recorded webinar with Kari Spencer and I on uh, seven key factors to easily grow your own healthy organic food. And if you're gonna be in town uh, in Phoenix on September 2nd, we've got our huge fruit tree extravaganza fruit tree launch. Jake will actually be speaking there But we're going to get him from afar. We were over at his house the other day, and we shot a really cool video talking about all kinds of stuff around how to plant your trees. So he'll be speaking there and got several other speakers, so you can come down and join us for that as well. It's another free event from all of the great work we're doing. So thank you very much for being here, Jake, and thank you all for listening. Absolutely great. Thanks for hosting this great program.
0: Healthy food is something everybody wants, delicious and nutritious, and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit Iwanttogarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors that you need to know to grow your own food. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming.